You're listening to Psychology Inside Out Podcast, where we take a look from the inside out at what makes the field of psychology so fascinating. We interview researchers, educators, fellow students, as well as experts, both professionally and experts by way of their own experiences with mental health. In this episode, we talk to second-year bachelor student Robin Schwalbach. Having first studied medicine, Robin found her passion in psychology, focusing her attention on sex education and sexology. We learned a lot about her professional goals, but also dove into her hobbies and personal life, which include endurance sports and swim run. We hope you enjoy today's student story. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Eugenia. So we're gonna have a little talk today with Robin, which is one of our colleagues. She's a second year student of psychology here at the VU. And she has a very interesting story. Uh, she is graduated in medicine and that's how I would like to start our chat. So why don't you share a little bit about why you chose medicine and why did you transition to psychology? Uh, yeah, so um, my reasons for studying medicine is, is a bit of a personal story. I was sick uh, when I was like 12, 13, um, and no one knew what I had. So for about a year, I've seen every doctor in the hospital, basically. And it resolved itself out of nowhere. Um, I started the contraception pill and then had like nothing ever again. Uh, but that's what tweaked my interest in medicine, because even though my professor didn't know what I had, he still did everything for me that he could. And I thought it would be a nice thing to do as well. Um, but then I started medicine and I didn't like it as much, much as I, uh, I thought I would. Um, and then um, I did a lot of extracurricular activities. Uh, so it took me six years to complete a three years bachelor and I did some board years and stuff. Um, and through that, I uh, started doing sex ed in, in primary schools. Um, and that's kind of how I rolled into psychology because I want to start study sexology in the end. And I think it would be better if I also have the psychology background, especially because I want to do research. And research based on just the medicine bachelors is not really doable. So yeah, I think that's uh, kind of how I rolled into that. Yeah, very interesting. And then maybe can you share where you're interested in sexology came from? Because yeah, it's like a lot right now you covered. So maybe let's just do it piece by piece. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds good. Yeah, so um, I think during my first year, this is a kind of weird story, but they were very smart in, in like PR and stuff because in the bathrooms at iHide, when you were peeing, there were posters saying, um, let's talk about sex and that tweaked my interest I was like okay why is this in the bathroom in a hospital um, thought that was kind of weird uh, but it was actually a call for people to start doing the sex ed in primary schools and I just applied I guess um, and then rolled into everything that came with it so um, organizing lectures and symposia and stuff like that and then through that, I met a friend of mine and she studied sexology in Leuven, which is in Belgium. Uh, it's one of the only two year master's programs in sexology in the world. Um, and I found that so interesting and thought, wow, that's, that's what I want to do in life, basically. 
Um, so that's how I, I rolled to that direction, I guess. And that's also where my interest came from because um, I had great sex ed in, in primary school, but I know a lot of my friends did not. And my parents are very open. They know a lot of stuff. They discuss basically anything with you. Um, I felt sometimes that it was too much when I was a kid because uh, they're very open. But now I see that that was like the better way. Um, and when doing the sex ed in primary schools, there's a lot of misconceptions in the, the youth of this day and age because they have like internet and phones and stuff and you can Google anything. Um, and that's also a shift that they see in research. We have uh, this organization in the Netherlands is called Rutgers. And they're basically a knowledge center for everything sexuality and they track the um, and well, anything related to sexuality in youth in the Netherlands, which is very interesting. Um, but they also saw that um, that shift that they know a lot more, but it's also a lot of like not right information. Um, so I want to do something about that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And uh, do you think it's it's like it's problematic or like what the research says maybe what is it problematic that right now they have a lot of information available but then it's incorrect or um like should it be changed what is right now the view about it well it's what the research mostly says is that it's not bad as long as they have uh, sex ed where that gets corrected um and the whole research also showed that um, I think in 2016, sex ed became like mandatory in primary schools in the Netherlands. So before that, uh, schools could just decide for themselves. And usually when I say I do sex ed in primary schools, people like from general society respond with, wow, are they not too young? Um, mm -hmm. And what the research showed is that they're not too young. It's actually the right age to start because then um, you don't have to go that into depth, but you steer them in the right direction with all the information that comes at them. And actually what also happened with doing the sex ed at such an early age is that, for example, the uh, first time people have sex in the Netherlands for you, it um, went up with one year because people were making more responsible decisions be because of the sex ed. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's quite, quite uh -huh. interesting to look at. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. And what, what it is the, if you can run us through basically what it is that they learn, basically just a simple, because I never had, I don't Some examples. That. I wanted yes, to actually examples. mention that, yeah, that also I never had uh, sex education in Russia, for instance. I'm pretty sure some people also never had it. So it would be just interesting to what exactly you cover, how it looks like, maybe a few stories if you can share. Yeah, yeah just to add, yeah. I feel this is something that parents struggle to how to have this talk with their kids and that's why there's such a huge taboo we're talking about sex with kids i think we created this monster in the closet but yeah. yeah it would be interesting to hear what it is because i know you do this job right now right you do a similar job with in schools yeah so um it, it's been a while because of corona uh, we didn't have that many lessons as before um but i've been doing it for six years or so, <laughs> so and i've done a lot of lessons so Amazing. But it, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. Like, look, I can talk about uh, what I do. I, I teach like year seven and eight in the Netherlands. So that's like ages 10 to 12. Um, but even before that, 
there's this um, the government and I think this um, organization for education in the Netherlands they make this whole uh, plan as to what to cover in which year um, and it starts from um, yeah what is love and stuff like that and then transitions into more complex things so what we teach in uh, year seven and eight and that's just based on the organization that I do it at and the schools can think of themselves like what they want to teach that's also the downside because some schools don't have um, all the capacity or the knowledge to um, tackle every topic that needs to be tackled um, but what we do is basically two lessons uh, and one is on puberty and relationships and um, like boundaries how to set your own boundaries how to get to know them and the other one is is more about sexuality like what is sexuality um, and also um, like the not normative sexuality so anything but uh, the heterosexual relationship um, and um, we don't really go into depth as to what is it what do you do but what they associate with it so that they feel more open and comfortable talking about it and both lessons they start with what we call an icebreaker um, because in that age they really find everything funny about it um, so we always say it's okay to laugh just don't laugh at each other um, and yeah it's it's it also depends on the classroom that you're in front of because sometimes um, you have a year seven that's way ahead of their time but sometimes you also have a year eight that's um, really not there yet so a lot of the questions that we ask is um, we answer them based on what comes back from the group. Mm -hmm. um, for example, if we ask, sorry, what? Yeah, you kind of customize to the audience at the particular school. Yeah. yeah, so there's an outline with the topics we cover and then we just like navigate through that. Um, and what, what's quite interesting is that um, when doing the lessons and um, you also uh, get to know new stuff yourself and it's also very interesting to see like how they think and stuff and so that's very fun but yeah for the for the topics that we really cover like, like sometimes in sexuality uh well there, there's this word web that we do uh, and it has sexuality in the middle and then we ask them well, what do you associate with it and um, sometimes they like come up with the sex positions and stuff which is very advanced for that age, but also sometimes it, it's they don't really come up with anything and then you need to really push them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's it really depends on the classroom, but there's always things that we do want to cover. So for example, in the puberty lesson, uh, we, we have this list of things that we want to mention. Um, and it's interesting, like I know that sometimes in sex ed, they separate the boys and the girls. We don't do that because it's also interesting to learn about each other and each other's bodies. Um, and in the sexuality lesson, yeah, we cover some things that we think they should know about. So for example, what I said about the resilience part um, and how to set your own boundaries and stuff, we always discuss that there um, and really emphasize that when, when it goes about sex, uh, that you need to um, like both want it. And otherwise, a no is a no. And if you go halfway through, a no is a no still. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of how we go into it. 
but it really depends on, on the school and the classroom. So. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so interesting. That's very important. I think we dealt the last decade with so many issues regarding rape and regarding sexual abuse that this type of work, I think, is so fundamental for the next generation. It's pretty interesting. Have you come across any really weird questions or a situation that a kid came to you about that, that you were, what do I do? I the, the thing is like sometimes if they come up with with the stories about rape or something like that we always refer them to the teacher because that's not our our field um but that has not really happened to me uh fortunately for me um but i know some of the other educators that have had that in the past and um usually the school then um, like goes on with the whole project after um but what I find interesting is at the end of every lesson, we do this uh, question box and they can basically ask us anything. Um, and well, if you've done the, the lesson well, most of the questions are not really about what you've covered, <laughs> but about completely different things. And um, I remember a question and it was like my, my sixth lesson or something. So I was very young as an educator. And this kid asked me, what's the content of a book? <laughs> and of a like I know the answer from my medicine test but <laughs> I just stood there and I thought I don't really get the question what, if, <laughs> what do you want to know um, so that was quite interesting to have like the the different way of thinking that they still have um, yeah wow so no so interesting and how often is that that they have this class is it once a week once a you it usually is once a year um in the spring and the organization that i mentioned with first they also have a lot of tools to do uh, lessons not just the organization that i'm in but they also have this whole website where you can like find anything just nice. mentioning that um mm -hmm. but um they have this week it's called week of the lentecribbles um and lentecribbles is basically like the butterflies you get in your stomach when you're in love oh, and, nice. but in spring um, mm -hmm. that's that's the word and they um, do a lot of promotion about that so usually we have most lessons in spring or after spring um, and it's always the two so there's a week in between and it's two hours per lesson that we do um, but from spring onwards I would say because we have a lot of educators so um, I would say I do a lesson or a couple of lessons like one of once a month um, but it also depends because some education educators don't have that much time and they only do like once a year the the double so mm -hmm. it, it really depends yeah it's interesting it looks like that they on purpose do it like you know that people can relate what if they are in love right so that they can discuss it and like yeah understand what's happened or something like that <laughs> yeah, i mean you yeah. can fall no, in love yeah that, that's very true and it's yeah it's kind of great that they that they brought that to life because uh, I think they started that like way before it was mandatory in primary schools and even then they approached schools and stuff and they um yeah got their programs into the school so that's already very very great that that happened I think like even before um it was mandatory the Netherlands was kind of ahead in doing sex ed in primary schools because for example in my primary school they've been doing it for 20 years and yeah it's it's interesting to see how that evolved even further 
because there's not a lot of countries that have like the mandatory sex ed. Um, yeah, again, I think, no, some, I think some Scandinavian countries do, but it's Scandinavia, so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. No, <laughs> I think that's, that's right. It. As I said, I think it's fundamental. It's a great example, and the data is showing, isn't it? Six years, as you said, they are delaying because they are making more responsible choices. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's kind of great to do. And it also translates to like all other life skills, I would call them, I guess. Because uh, for example, what I said about like knowing your own boundaries that doesn't just go for sex, that goes for anything. And so yeah. I I'd like to think that we also make them better adults, but mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll have to see, I guess. <laughs> No, I think something, uh, sure. I actually would like to ask uh, you about uh, your master program, what that you are planning to do. I guess you have your direction already, right? So you already decided you will finish bachelor in psychology at Pooh and then you will go to Leoven to continue master mm -hmm. program, right? So yeah. um, what are your plans then with your future education and I guess life as well? So are you planning to do research or you're planning to work in the field if you can talk a little bit about it and like uh, there was a picture. <laughs> yeah, so what I would like to do is not the same thing for five days a week. That's first of all. Um, and I'm interested in research because there's a lot of research going on in sexuality that's like really developing and the field is getting broader and broader because it's quite a new field. Uh, so I would like to do some research, but on the other hand, um, I'm also very interested in policy related to, to sexuality. Um, so what I said that the organization does, um, that is also what, what I find very interesting to think on those topics. And uh, for example, that it's in the law right now, uh, but it's not enforced or uh, people don't check that the schools do it well, I would find it interesting to tackle that because there's still some schools in the Netherlands that don't do any sex ed, um, even when it's mandatory. So I, I would find it interesting to combine the research and the policy part, or I guess kind of like the activism bit that I mm -hmm. find really cool to do, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I also think that when I go to Leuven, I will get a lot of ideas as to what to do. Because my friend, she studied it there and she's now um, working as a sexologist or a clinical sexologist in, in this practice in Leiden. Um, and well, she, she does find that very interesting, but also very hard work in the sense that it's such a new field and there's a really high demand to clinical psycho uh, sexologists. Um, but there's not enough of them and they still get all the patients because some um, medical problems or psychological problems have an urgency and you cannot just say no i'm not going to treat you mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a very demanding job and that's also what i disliked about medicine so i don't think i will do that but yeah you can go many many ways in sexology mm -hmm. yeah for sure and uh, how you educate yourself right now? Because I can imagine that you're already uh, reading a lot, I don't know, participating in some webinars. What if people want to know, for instance, more about psychology and learn about sexology, uh, what would you recommend? So what is your path? And I don't know, maybe you can recommend some books as well, that this is a must 
to read or something like that. Yeah, so I, I keep up to date on some articles. There's some journals on sexual medicine and um, also one on sexology. So I read those. I think they come out like four, four times a year and then you have a bundle of, of 15 articles. Um, so I, I keep up to date with that. And I just read a lot of books, um, mostly more the feminist books or um, I did this uh, gender studies course at the, the University of Amsterdam, so not the food, um, but they have the, these courses on um, like the whole development of feminism and queer theory and stuff like that. So there's a lot of books that I find interesting in that. Um, that's, yeah, that's really what I do. There's also this study book on sexology, but it's in Dutch. Mm -hmm. so that's that's unfortunate for, for people who don't speak Dutch, but it's a really good book. And it's called Leerboek Sexology. So if you want to check it out, do that. And yeah, yeah I listen to some podcasts, but they're also Dutch, so. No, that's that's great anyway, because we have few people who are also Dutch, then uh, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes, like your recommendation, then, and I will definitely also check it out. <laughs> I can send you a list with some books and some podcasts, and uh, also the journals that I, I look up to. I think it's like three, but I don't really recall the exact names. Uh, the no, one great. is the Journal of Social Medicine, but there's there's like a few more. Um, but I, I will send you like a list with some stuff. No, I said that I wanted to ask about the gender studies that you study at the University of Amsterdam. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's a minor there. I, I did that like a couple of years ago and I, I didn't finish all of it because I was really overworked and I just couldn't do it. Um, but it's um, from the sociology department. So it's a really different way of looking at things. And um, yeah, they gave me a lot of tools and books and uh, interesting um, yeah, things to look at that I hadn't thought of myself. I learned a lot there. So. Yeah, I'm interested because there is a minor here at the VU uh, with, in diversity studies and it's related to gender. And I thought it was a very interesting uh, topic for me because I think it's such a hot topic, gender identity in, you know, pronouns and everything. And I personally don't know how to deal with that information, you know, how people feel. Yeah. And I think the best way to, you know, get educated, it's learn, read, talk to people. But there is not really a topic that you share and you kind of talk to people around you, at least in my circle, you don't really talk. What What is it that you can share with us then? What are your thoughts? Are you happy with this? this well, I've, I've also heard, by the way, that uh, the minor attitude is also very good. My friend of mine did it. Oh, good so to know. that's also interesting. And as we're talking about it, I do have some friends that are in the same circles as I am with the sex ed and stuff. We do discuss it then, uh, but it's it's kind of hard to just throw it into a conversation with uh, your other bubble, yeah. if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, but it is interesting. I think also what's hard, and it was what was hard for me as well in the beginning, is I felt like I didn't know enough about it. So I couldn't really start a conversation with people about it. I felt more comfortable discussing these topics with people I knew. Um, so yeah, that's also what, what I would recommend to just read up on it and um, yeah, get to know 
feel better because then it's it's a lot easier to talk about topics like gender identity and even sexuality. Mm-hmm. And are you going to take this minor as well uh, about gender yeah. diversity? Are you going to take also this gender diversity minor as well? Um, I'm thinking about it. Uh, but as you know, I also work a lot, so I have to see how it fits into my schedule and stuff. Uh, but I'm I'm not that much in a hurry, so I might um, like postpone the opening year and then uh, catch up on, on all the few courses and maybe do that minor. So I, I'm definitely thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it takes a very different pers- perspective, the few minor. And they also have some courses as um, that talks about gender in, in movies and film and more the creative um, viewpoint as to just uh, the diehard sociological one. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah that's um, why I'm interested in because it's such a new topic as well. It's something that I've, I when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, this is definitely worth learning from it because it's something that I start coming across this pronouns when I was living in the US in 2019 when I never heard about like people uh, wanting to be referred as they and them and for me it was like whoa what is this whole new thing that I didn't even know and you know took me a while to understand a little bit what and I think I still adapting and and then and I thought it was super interesting that right now we have a course that kind of talks about things like that so I'm pretty interested like after yeah, I, I, start I think doing it, it would be very good to to follow that course as well and also if you're interested there is this elective so it's only one per course at the University of Amsterdam it's usually in January and in June um, and it's uh, uh, from the psychology department there on sexology mm-hmm. so it's only four weeks um, but it's a really great course I've, I've gone to some lectures because we promote the sex ed there, um, but you can just um, apply from, from the food as well. So then you're like a visiting student at the University of Amsterdam. And that's also quite interesting. And it's, it's more of an introduction into the field. And it also gives you a lot of tools, like what you said about like knowing more about gender and, and non-binary people and just, well, anyone that, that defects from the norm. Mm-hmm. And they give you like many tools as to how to uh, get to know more about that. So mm-hmm. oh, that's great, great that tip. Be, that's great tip. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's really great. So yeah. Oh, cool. We add into the into yeah. the show notes too. I think that's very interesting. I am definitely more interested to learn about that because I think once we start learning about others and all these new things that we didn't talk about before we just learn a little bit more about ourselves too so thank you for that yeah exactly that's how I feel as well about doing the sex out in general and every time I go there I learn a new thing about myself so yeah yeah it's really great very interesting yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing this. Um, and I would like to transition a little bit slightly to different direction um, and ask you about uh, how you combine work, how you combine educating as well and uh, studying. So what exactly, like, you know, maybe you can describe your week and give some tips how you manage these things. Describe my week. <laughs> That's an interesting <laughs> question. Um, my week is uh, different every week, basically. Um, 
for, for the people, I, I don't know if I've told you this already, but I work at Albertine, which is a really big supermarket. And I have a management position there that I'm start, I've started this Monday. Uh, so I work 20 hours a week aside from doing the studying. Um, That's it's, a lot. I'm sorry to interrupt. I know. Impressive. A yeah. For a full-time student in the Netherlands, which is a very intense course. Wow. Um, yeah, all I have it's, it's a lot of planning. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. No, yeah, it's, it's a lot of planning. Um, but it works for me. And what doesn't work for me is like outlining everything at the beginning of the week and then checking off boxes. I uh, just reserve specific uh, time per day for studying and then just start and finish when the time is done. And then at the end of the week, I always have this like buffer time. That's it's usually like one day part. So either morning, afternoon or evening. Uh, where I like finish everything that I didn't get to before. Um, yeah, how, how it works for me is that for studying, I don't really watch all the lectures and stuff. I know that's bad. I only do that when I like the lecture. Uh, but studying for me is reading the books. I read a lot and I read very fast. So, for example, um, we are having a course right now in social psychology. The chapters are very big, like 40 pages per, per chapter. Um, I can do that in like an hour, one and a half hours. So wow. that's that's very fast. Wow, and then I, I, I kind of remember it. And, hold and the then phone. I revise it at the end of the week. So that's yeah. the, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do that? Is that something you, you practice? It's something that it was always very easy to you, or it's just well, I've, a, I've, a skill I've always read a lot. So um, and that's regular books. So I started with Harry Potter and stuff, um, which are fun. Um, and then transitioned into just reading very fast. I read a lot. Like I think I read about 50. 16 books a year, regular books. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I started reading like my study books, it just went the same way. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really practicing. I just transitioned into that. Um, and when I read it the first time, I kind of remember stuff. And then I usually read them all again. And then I know the material enough to do the exam. So, yeah, yeah. really cool actually we discussed it just last week right in our tutorial like this study yeah. who, who like uh, studies how and then reading was like I think most of the people cannot do it but it looks like you have this yeah special memory for reading already like you really developed that skill I guess yeah and, uh, this is the way to go for you that's really interesting yeah most of students i think what they struggle the most is the reading is the reading part it's like 20 30 pages it's yeah well yeah i, I know it's not uh, like that common but it, yeah it works for me so that's great and that's also how i combine everything because I, it leaves me a lot of time to do other stuff that i love um mm -hmm. yeah so the, for example the work um I usually work like four or five days a week, but it's not full days and I can um, schedule my own hours, which means that it's quite flexible. I also have a lot of vacation days. For, so for example, we have an exam week at the end of December. I have the whole week off because 
otherwise mm -hmm. that's great yeah. i would not get through yeah so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of what works for me and for the for the volunteer work it doesn't take me that much time i don't really have to prepare the classes anymore so i just go there and do the lessons Mm -hmm. um, and then it takes me three hours per, so then it's six hours a month. That's time that I do have. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, I can relate to it. I was also, with my previous studies, I was working full time and it was day study as well. It was really helpful to have this, like, you know, as you mentioned, these flexible hours, then if you can yeah. schedule yourself. Yeah, but still, it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot. And do you also study during weekend or like weekend is weekend so i'm just curious how you balance it also with i guess some <laughs> family life i don't know like with uh, friends so how you do it well that depends um like i said i have the buffer time that's usually in my weekend but if i finish what i wanted to finish that week i have the weekend off so yeah it, it really depends on the week, but usually weekend is weekend, especially um, my boyfriend, he started this new job in the military. So he's, he's a doctor in the military now, and he had the first 10 weeks of his uh, education. He was um, stationed like at the military place. I don't know what it's mm -hmm. called. Um, so he wasn't home during the week, which meant I only saw him Saturday, Sunday, and then I just like kept it free fully because then we had time together so yeah then yeah you could probably like uh, catch up and do things in the evenings right so you could schedule yourself yeah, yeah so exactly yeah yeah no, that's very mm -hmm. true so yeah it's 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 a lot of planning but it's still kind of flexible and well i like a more free style of, of planning my week and um, because usually something happens that's unexpected and I still want to do the unexpected things because I still I still see I have time to see friends and stuff. <laughs> it's not that I just study and work and that's it. It's yeah. impressive with the 20 hour week work week and school and your side projects. It's a lot. It sounds like a lot, but it's great that you can balance. And I also know that you love sports. It's a big part of your life, yeah. right? Do you have time for that too? Yeah. You want to share a little bit about yeah. your hobbies? Well, I don't have that much time right now. <laughs> uh, but that's because I had my big competition of the year and I just felt like not doing anything for the six weeks after. Um, but yeah, sporting, the sport that I do, I, I do swim run, uh, which is swimming and then running and then swimming and then running. And I did a half triathlon uh, beginning of this um, academic year. Um, it's mostly things that you can do from home, which means it takes me a lot less time. Uh, for example, running, if I wanted to go for a run right now, it would take me an hour because I would just put on running clothes, go out the door, be back in 45 minutes, shower and be done. Um, so I think the kind of sport that I do makes it very easy to combine. Um, yeah, and I can also like listen to podcasts and audiobooks while running. So that's mm -hmm. also I'm doing helpful. that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because What's... you're uh, you can do them both at the same time, so that makes it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, sometimes I listen to lectures actually during uh, running or yeah, so depends on the lecture, I guess. Some lectures like, you know, you really need to attend to and yeah. maybe <clears throat> it's hard to keep attention. Uh, but yeah, to some actually when they're more entertaining, uh, that's really fun as well. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good way to combine stuff. And, yeah, well, yeah. I cannot in cycling, I cannot do it at the same time, of course. Because then I would just like go off road and fall. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it works for me to um, also clear my head. If I studied very hard for a day, uh, usually I cannot sleep after. I see all the pages of the book flying by mm -hmm. when I I try to sleep. So then it helps to just like work out for thirty minutes or so, and really go hard at it and then it just uh, gives me some clarity as, in a way as well so mm -hmm. so do you exercise every day or like if you exercise every day no, or several times a week? not every day but i try to do at least like four days during the work week and then one day in the weekend and mm -hmm. but sometimes i just don't feel like it and i don't do it it's just mm -hmm. that i feel a lot better when i do do it yeah, I guess yeah. it's it's kind of about balance and stuff, but it's yeah. I, I like it when I work out, but I just sometimes I need to push myself to do it. Mm -hmm. And this swim run, so um, you participate as well, I think, in one of the competition, right? And this, like, how many people were there and how it looks like. I mean, where was it? Yeah, so um, I was planning to go to a competition in Norway with my dad. I do it together with my dad. Um, but that got cancelled. So that said, we're doing it next year now. But I did a small one in the Netherlands. It's um, in the province of Groningen, which is like mm -hmm. a really northern one. Um, and there's this place called Lauer's Oak, the boat to one of the islands goes there, to Schimonebelt, it's one of the small ones. Um, I think there was like about 100, 150 participants. Uh -huh. And I had actually done that competition the year before. Um, it's like really nice nature there. Um, a lot of lakes, we had to swim through this harbor with like really big ships. So I was swimming next to this huge ship and it was really amazing. Um, yeah, so that's that's something I did do this year. And I also did a half triathlon in Horen, which is also really nice. So. Yeah. yeah 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 and the visa so with the swim run still because i'm i'm also like interested in the triathlon half triathlon but it's still on my list so really like kudos to you to, to, for doing this honestly it's like a big achievement i think because uh yeah you've done the whole part right so swimming running and uh cycling right yes yeah, so what was what was the hardest for you from the triathlon um i think the cycling and i wasn't expecting that because i thought the running would be harder running is my sport i came from running but i i didn't really have the time to train enough for the running so i thought it would be harder and also the running is at the end so it would make sense to be completely dead when you start running yeah, yeah. Um, but we had a lot of wind mm. and um cycling in the netherlands everything is flat so if there's wind you have it full <laughs> coming at your head um, and we had to like cycle across these dikes so next to a lake I just could not get ahead it was just horrible 
So that's why that was really hard because 19 kilometers on a bike is three hours. And if you have the wind in your face the whole time, it's not fun. So yeah, that's why, why that was harder. But yeah. that's not what I was expecting. And also the swimming, I would have thought that was harder as well because I'm not a great swimmer. Let's just start with that. But that also went super, super well. So yeah. But you finished it. Yes, exactly. In the end, it went, it went way better than I expected. So, uh -huh. nice, yeah. nice. And I had fun doing it. It's also important. <laughs> That's the most important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as for the swim run, the thing about that is, and that's also why I like it a lot, it's a lot of adventure uh, because you, you go places that you won't normally go running. Um, and, and every time you're kind of done with, with the part that you're in. So when you're swimming, you're like, oh, I want this to end. You have a small run. And if you're running a long time, you're like, I'm done with running, you go swim. Yeah. Um, because it's it's constantly swimming, running, swimming, running. Um, yeah, so that makes it a lot easier, I guess. And what is the distance then for this, uh, let's say, one of the competition? Uh... Like, yeah, how much you need to swim and how, how much you need to run. Yeah, so the one that we're going to do in Norway next year, I think it's a total of 40 kilometers. Mm -hmm. And then eight or nine out of that is swimming. Mm -hmm. um, but that sounds like a lot if you say it like that. But the longest swim is one and a half. And in my triathlon, I did two kilometers. So um, if you put it that way, it's it's not as as impressive i guess or it's still impressive but it doesn't sound as scary. impressive yeah it doesn't sound <laughs> exactly. as impressive but it is because once you're going yeah. there it makes all difference yeah i do just a few running competitions just for my own yeah. personal challenge i don't compare with anybody or anything um but i always make my set my own goals and it feels really good once you're done i don't know how many of these you've done i've done only one half marathon and my dream is a full one but yeah. i haven't done that yet <laughs> but well, the, the thing it, is it feels the, really good. yeah it you, it makes you feel really good about yourself um i'm both i come from a runner's family so both my parents they they ran a lot and my mom has done like 12 marathons and my dad i'm not even talking about him uh, because he's done like too many full triathlons to count. Um, oh, wow. But they always taught me that, like in endurance sporting, um, you win from yourself. So it's constantly a, a mental fight with you. And yeah. then when you get there and you've done it, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. During yeah. the run, yeah, or during the competition, it can be like so tough, I guess. I mean, for me, I was also running a couple of marathons and mar half marathons. And sometimes yeah. during marathon, it's like during half marathons, it's easy for me. But like marathon, the full marathon, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not doing it again. Never again. Yeah. This is the last one. And then you finish and then you just, oh, I sign up I for next one. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, no, that's exactly. I, I've done one full marathon in, in San Francisco. And uh, that's the thing, because I think I would have had the same reaction if I'd done Amsterdam, for example. But it was a city I had never been before. We didn't mm -hmm. go exploring beforehand, and we ran throughout the whole city. So I was just looking around and, oh, that's a nice place. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah. 
um this is I, so I cool yeah i didn't really feel like um struggling it's also my tip if you're ever going to do a full marathon Anna, just do one in a city you've always wanted to go to and never been yeah because then i have that in mind I have that in yeah. mind because I did one, I did a 10K in Chile and I was at my friend's house and I remember riding in, into the city because the whole city is closed for the marathon. So it does have this completely different feel, exactly what you said about San Francisco, because you get yeah. to see the city from a total different perspective. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going to, I'm going to do one day, but I don't yeah. know where, but I totally yeah, get your point. It's still going to be hard, of course, but it's, yeah. it's a lot easier when you're in a new environment because then even when it's hard, you still look around and think, oh, wow, I'm yeah, here. Yeah. It's totally. amazing. Yeah. And I'm not a runner. I don't come from a running family. I don't like running. For me, it's literally the challenge. is the personal challenge. It, it hurts for me. Like what Ivana said, oh, the half marathon is easy. For me, after, I think, kilometer 13, my knees was like in a constant pain, but I didn't stop. But yeah. I... I still can get this feeling of like oh wow i'm in like this cool city i totally get your point yeah but that's the thing like if you can do a half marathon and have that feeling you can also do a full one and yeah, i know it totally. sounds a lot because it's double um, yeah. but it's about the mindset and keeping going even though everything hurts yeah, totally. because it's going to hurt because your body is not supposed to run 42 kilometers in one go yeah in one go yeah but if you can do the half one you can also do the full one yeah, yeah. any yeah. other challenges that you're planning like um yeah you plan to participate in that um, competition in norway but anything yeah. in a, like you know in the next year or two that you're planning like yeah i want to do that uh, anything that you have in mind well, if I dream big, I've always wanted to do a full triathlon because my dad always does those. Um, that's also why, why I did the half one. Um, and what he started a couple of years back is you have the regular triathlons and it's been Ironman or Challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also extreme triathlons. I know that sounds like weird, but it's, it's basically in these... Um, more rugged countries so for example scotland and alaska and norway mm. and um it's really different because it's a smaller group of participants they're not there's not like three thousand people participating and and you have a support team with you so what we did usually is with my family we were the support team of my dad um, and and uh, for example the one in norway he had to swim in one of the shorts which is very cool they had a ferry that went into the lake and then the start was jumping off the ferry and then like swimming back to the land. The cycling was through like mountains and stuff. And you also finish on the top of the mountain. Um, so it's, it's very different. I'm not saying I want to do that, but I might at some point. Yeah, but it sounds really beautiful as well. Yeah, yeah. so it, it is because you have a lot more time to enjoy the environment. It, that's not a race to do it fast but that's a re race to complete it and have the whole experience and yeah. that's i think what i like a lot about that so i would would like to do one of those at some point there's one in scotland Scotland is my favorite country so i think that would be the ultimate goal to do the calf man as well
Yeah. That sounds, yeah, sounds really fantastic. That yeah. You said, I'm not committing. I love that you said, I'm not committing. I'm not saying I'm going to do it because I think for people that kind of liked doing this personal challenges, it's like once you say it, you're going to do it, you have to do it, right? So you just don't want to fully say, yeah, this is what I want to do because yeah. once it's said, you have to complete. Yeah, exactly. That's what I did with the marathon because I wanted to do it like for five years before and every time I just didn't apply. And then I just, I woke up one day and I was just like, I'm going to do it now. So I just woke up, went to my parents and said, I'm doing the marathon this time just for this summer. And they just looked at me like, okay. <laughs> uh, but then I did do it because I told it to basically everyone. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm not doing that with the full triathlon yet because I don't know if I want to. Well, I want to, but it's going to be hard. So I'm still it's also a lot of preparation. It. Right, it's also a lot of preparation. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, at I least would, from I would, yeah, I would need more time to do it. Yeah, I don't have it right now. So. Well, yeah, sounds sounds great. Um, thank you very much for your time uh, because I know that you we will have a tutorial <laughs> in just a couple of minutes, basically. Anything yeah. else that you want to still mention, maybe about sexology or what we haven't covered, but you think, uh, yeah, maybe for psychology students would be interesting. Um, any book recommendation or anything like that? Well, I think like we covered a lot of things. Um, and I will, I will for sure send you a list that you could put in the show notes with, with other recommendations because I can start telling you about all the books I read, but it, it really makes sense to just name them and then not talk about them a lot. No, definitely. Uh, which I guess yeah. we, we don't have the time for right now. Um, but yeah, I'll, I will definitely share that with you. And I think uh, what we discussed before, like if you don't know, um, a lot about some topic that's related to this just do your own research go online uh, find the information and keep talking about it with friends as well I know it's sometimes hard to start a conversation about a topic like this uh, especially when you don't usually discuss it with, with your friends for example um, but still keep doing it because it's very important to um, yeah, be open about that because if you're not going to share it with your friends, who are you going to share it with? I guess that's my advice related to sexology and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. a great advice for everyone. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for having me because it was a really nice conversation again. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed, please don't forget to follow and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at psychologyinsideout.podcast, where we update our listeners on upcoming episodes and much more. Thanks, and until next time. Thank you.